And with that, I'm going to stop talking and invite my friend Andrew. Um, Andrew, if uh, you haven't met him, he and his wife, Pastor Falkirk Vineyard, they're great friends of ours, and uh, we wanted to invite Andrew to come and speak this morning, so he is going to do just that. Okay, Over to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yes. That's good. Get your applause out of the way just now, because you might not be clapping at the end. <laughs> Guys, is it so good to be here? Lorraine and I just want to say thank you for the warm welcome we're received this morning, and we bring you greetings from Falkirk, and um, particularly from Falkirk Vineyard, your cousins, I guess, your brothers and sisters across the water. It's nice to um, arrive in Fife to the summer rain. Um, we knew we were over the fourth when we, we saw the clouds and we saw the rain, thought, yeah, it's good to be back in Fife. So, all good. Um, one of the great joys we get when we go to other churches is to commend to you your pastors, because they don't get a chance to do it themselves. So guys, we just want to say for Lorraine and I, Jim and Rachel, we love them. Like, they're such good people. And one of the things, one of the joys about being a pastor in a, in a vineyard church, well, I can only speak for a vineyard church in Scotland, but we hang out together as church leaders on a fairly regular basis. And we kind of get to see behind the curtain Right, you know, um, how these guys are. I just want to just let you guys know that these two are absolutely committed to St. Andrew's and to Kingdom Vineyard. They love you guys. When we hear them talk about their church, it fills our hearts and think maybe we should love our church as much as they love their church. But I just want to commend them to you and say that, I mean, I would even say that if we lived anywhere near here, this is the church we would come to and we would willingly and humbly submit to these guys' leadership if we were around here. We violate them so highly. And I think the baton they took a few years ago from these two guys here, we have seen them run harder and faster, even than Tobin Carroll did. And I mean that with really, the but, they've, but that isn't, is that, isn't that the purpose? They've just run harder and faster. So, guys, we commend you, we bless you. Um, and let me just read this verse in Hebrews that. All leaders and pastors love to read out. Hebrews 13, 17, and this is how Eugene Peterson puts it. Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Here's a clincher. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? So guys, I commend your pastors today this morning. Make their life joyful don't make it a drudge. Amen. Amen. Okay, that was just a wee extra thrown in for free. So this morning, I want to talk to you about um, one of my favorite characters or favorite people in the Bible. His name is Barnabas. You heard of Barnabas? Yeah. He's one of the early Christians and leaders of the church that was birthed after Pentecost. Now, most characters in the Bible have a, a reputation or a, or a nickname. So, for example, you know, like, if I said Thomas, you would say, Doubting Thomas. Um, what about Peter? He's known as? Simon. Simon. Okay, good. See, this is, how to get the, good. Right, this is security here, because these guys are... <laughs> So we've got Peter, Peter the Rock. So we have all these different names. Do anyone know what is Barnabas known for? Encouragement. 
encouragement. And I think when Barnabas is spoken about, many people think this is the guy I want to be. I want to be an encourager, or at least I want to be known as an encourager. But as well as a, an encourager, Barnabas was, was other things. He was a man of great generosity. It tells us um, that he sold an entire field or an entire piece of land and gave all the money to the work of the kingdom of God. So if you've got a heart to be an encourager this morning, you'll have to put your hand in your pocket because encouragers are generous by nature. Uh, Barnabas was also a risk taker, and that's what we're going to look at today. He took a huge risk to give someone a second chance. Um, the story where um, Saul, who became Paul, he led the persecution against all the early Christians in, in the early church. And when Saul becomes a Christian himself, he tries to join the, the disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem. And none of the disciples actually believed that Saul had actually met Jesus. They were extremely skeptical about his conversion story until that is that Barnabas takes a risk. Barnabas goes to meet Saul, he listens to his story, and he brings him back to the other disciples. Now, that's a massive risk because Saul wasn't just a persecutor, he was a killer. He was banding people together and causing them to commit murder of Christians and Christian leaders. Paul was the mastermind. Of, well, I'm going to be Paul Saul here, right? We know it's the same guy, right? Okay. Why does the Bible do that? Right. Two names. So it's Paul, okay, but Paul Saul. He was behind the stoning of Stephen, their great friend and co-leader in, in the kingdom. And Barnabas brings Saul to the disciples. And this is a massive risk for Barnabas because what if Saul was only pretending? What if Saul was, was still at work behind the scenes trying to infiltrate into the, the Christian church? Then Barnabas' reactions would have resulted in at least the imprisonment of the majority of the leaders of the early church, but very likely their execution. These were life-risking um, actions that, that Barnabas was, was taking here. But as we know, it turns out that Barnabas, as well as being an encourager, a generous person, a risk taker, this shows that he also was a man of great discernment. Because the risk that he takes in Saul turns out to be a good one. And Saul, whom we also know as Paul, becomes very important in the spread of the gospel, which is a, an understatement. He becomes the key player and the spreading of the gospel. And what I love about that, this risk is that Barnabas took a risk to believe in someone that everyone else had given up on. There was no one in the church had a good word to say about Saul. There was no one in the church wanted him within a mile or within a hundred miles of the church. No one wanted him there. But Barnabas took the risk to believe in someone everyone else had given up on. And then you look at the results. Barnabas took a risk to love someone that everyone else was afraid of and would never have given a chance to. And for me, that is a fantastic example of what we are striving to be as the church. We want to be a people who risk loving the unlovable. Yeah? Isn't that, what Jesus, isn't that why you are here? <laughs> Hasn't Jesus loved the unlovable? That's why we're all sitting here. What Barnabas does, he chooses to take a risk. He chooses to examine a person and put even the potential of relationships of love ahead of every other consideration, even his own safety, 
and potentially his own life. I look at this and and how Barnabas behaves here and and the character of Barnabas, and I look at myself and I think, man, there's times that I don't even want to put loving relationships ahead of my own comfort and convenience. Something, yeah? Right? You got something, because let's be honest, we, we do love ourselves a lot. I mean, like, I spend most of my time with me, right? So, it's true. So, but sometimes we will put, even relationships that we value and love, we will put ourselves ahead of those relationships. It's, it's the brokenness of our human nature. But let alone take the kind of risk to love someone who is dangerous and puts myself and my friends at risk. Maybe you at times see your leaders and your pastors placing someone in a position you think, hmm, that wouldn't have been my choice. But the truth is, you're all a risky choice. We are all a risky choice. You know, in the Scriptures, God puts His trust in people who can't be trusted. You know, He puts His trust in people who can't be trusted. I listed a few here. Noah, He trusted them, and then He became untrustworthy. Abraham, Jacob, David, Samson, Peter, Judas, the most untrustworthy of all. This is what God does. He puts trust in those who are not trustworthy. So after five or six years, after welcoming Saul into the group of disciples, Saul then moves to Antioch um, and starts preaching and doing ministry there. And then Barnabas, after this five or six year period, he actively seeks him out again to join him in his ministry in Antioch. So we did in Acts 11, 25. So it says, Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So this is where our story begins today. So I'm going to try and go through this as quickly as possible. Um, I love this story so much, so I tend to go off off script, so I'm trying not to. It is one of my few flaws that I do that. <laughs> but anyway, so, so, the, next, so the next main part of this, the story of Barnabas begins in Acts 13. So let, let's read uh, a few verses from there. So, the congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet preachers and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manian, an advisor to the ruler Herod, and Saul. One day as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance, and the Holy Spirit spoke. He said, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to. So they commissioned them, and in that circle of intensity and obedience of fasting and praying, they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Now, there's a whole other talk here on what leaders, on what the leaders and teachers were spending their time doing in Antioch, and how they listened to the Holy Spirit, and how they gladly sacrificed or gave away two of their best for the wider work of the kingdom of God. Again, isn't that what we want the church to be? Consistently raising up leaders to to a position where they they become better than those who have raised them up, and then we send them off to whatever God wants them to do. Yeah? Yeah? You with me? That's, That's what we do in the vineyard. That's our goal. That's our aim, always to raise people up, see them surpass us, and move them on. That's what we do. Anyway, we'll save that for another time. Maybe Jim and Rachel can talk to you about that sometime in the future. But what I want to look at here is this is the very beginning 
of the missionary movement. This is the beginning of the spreading of the gospel that Jesus had prophesied and commanded his apostles to do. And look who he sent out. It's Barnabas and Saul. And just as an aside, many Bible scholars, in fact, I think all would see that the, the, the order that Barnabas' name comes first is significant in this. It's Barnabas and Saul, indicating that Barnabas is the leader. So although we talk about Paul's missionary journeys, the evidence from this passage that at the beginning, these were actually Barnabas's missionary journeys, and Paul was coming along um, to be mentored and trained um, into leadership. So Barnabas, sorry, actually takes the lead in this early endeavor, um, but that does change quite quickly because as we go into further into chapter 13, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. So we see this kind of handing over of the leader, leadership role. And, and that fits quite well with the picture of Barnabas seeking out Saul, bringing him to Antioch, involving him in the ministry, teaching him, mentoring and working beside him. And now they are sent out by the Holy Spirit to new places and they go together. So the passage continues, we've got verse 4, Acts 13. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went to the seaport of Cilicia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Who? Do, how, do you think you're reading the scriptures? Names appear with no context. Have you noticed that? John Mark. Who is this John Mark? So, if I get this out, we have to back up one chapter. So, we're going to quickly look at who John Mark is. So, we have to back up to chapter 12. So, Barnabas and Saul um, had taken a gift of money from the church in Antioch while they were there, and they went back to Jerusalem because there was a famine or certainly a mass shortage of food, and they took a gift from Antioch to go back to, with, to Jerusalem. And while we're there, Peter gets thrown into prison and is then miraculously laid out by an angel. Yeah, we're aware of that story. And in verse 12 of Acts 12, it tells us, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So John Mark is part of the church in Jerusalem, and his mother is Mary. It could be any number of Marys. There's a lot of Marys. But most likely, this home was one of the places where the church met. You know how it says in Acts 2 that the church met in each other's homes? This would be one of these places. And because of the, the, there was a lot of hostility towards the, the apostles and the church at this time, it was probably like an underground church. It was, it was happening in Hayden. But this was the home where John Mark lived. And right at the end of that story, um, in Acts 12, it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. So here we have Barnabas and Saul, a.k.a. Paul. Paul being mentored and trained and developed by Barnabas. And then here comes the next generation, John Mark. Do you see how God keeps, I don't like to use the word bottom, but it's almost he's filling up from the bottom and pushing everybody, pushing us all upwards. And then we learn another piece of information about John Mark in Galatians 4. Unpronounceable name, who is in prison with me, that's his Paul speaking, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark. That's John Mark, Barnabas' cousin. So hello, he's a family member. So this word translated cousin, it's generally believed it's actually nephew. 
but we know he's a family member. But I think nephew is probably more accurate because it perhaps better um, gives us a recognition that, that John Mark has a kind of junior or younger status than Barnabas. Either way, there's a family connection. So, we, so guys, when you're reading the scriptures and you come across names like that, do a bit of digging because you can find out different things. And also, sorry, just this is what I do, right? Another aside, see Paul's letters. Paul's letters don't come after Acts. They, they do when you're reading the Bible, but Paul's letters are in Acts. So if you want to understand what's going on in the books of, book of Acts, read Paul's letters in the context of the book of Acts. They're, they're, they're in it, not after it. That, they're not a postscript. They're not Paul's memoirs. Uh, yeah, not Paul's memoirs. They, are, they live in the book of Acts. Okay, so that's just an aside. Anyway, back to Barnabas. So Barnabas and Saul head out in their journey, and this time they bring John Mark, and they have an incredible season of ministry. The rest of Acts 13 and all of Acts 14, I'd, I'd encourage you when today just or this week just to read through those chapters and be inspired by the work of Barnabas and Saul. But the rest of Acts 13 and 14, they describe the journey that they went on and all the amazing things that God did. And in Acts 14, 26, it sums up um, the work that they did. It says, Finally, they turned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work that they had now completed. In In the message translation, it describes what they did as a good piece of work. A good piece of work. We, we, isn't that a good description? Who, who wouldn't want to be known as someone who does a good piece of work? So basically what this passage is telling us is that Barnabas and Saul have gone out and their mission has been a success. Well done, Barnabas and Saul. So it must have been good times. We got back to Antioch, big celebrations, and uh, thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done. But here's a question. What often happens immediately after a season of strong ministry or a season when we've done a piece of good work? Attack. Disappointment, disillusionment, things the enemy starts to do his mind games on us. Well, that's great, you've done that, but what about today? What about these people? Was it really that good? Or what about the few things that didn't go right when you were in Antioch or when you were away? All that kind of thing. This is what happens. And then, so what we find out, we get, they've had this amazing ministry trip and they get back to Antioch. And in chapter 15, we find out that an internal controversy springs up. So the, the Jewish Christians, the Christians who have been con- not converted from Judaism, but they are Jews and they become Christians, they respond to all the new Gentile Christians by trying to force them to become circumcised. And in other words, they're saying, if you want to be part of this church, you have to become like us. Okay, who wants to be in that church, by the way? Right, you know, um, as much as we love Jim and Rachel, we don't want, like, replicas of Jim and Rachel. We want... Yeah, absolutely... (laughs) What we want is to see people who are inspired by their ministry and example to become the God version of who they should be. So this 
controversy springs up. And, and essentially, what they're, they're saying is if to, to the Gentile Christians is if you want to be part of this church, you have to become a Jew, then become a Christian. So they're trying to pull them into their culture. They're, they've taken away grace and brought back in um, law and works and process. So in Acts 15, it starts over saying this, Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers just what I've said, unless you're circumcised by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. That's just not true. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. And finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to apostles and elders about this question. So they couldn't resolve it. So they decide, okay, we're going to send our two main guys again. They're going to go back to Jerusalem, speak to the other apostles, and then they're going to come back and tell us what the answer is. So they go to Jerusalem, they meet with other apostles, and they come to some conclusions. And, and that whole story is well worth you reading. Again, we can't get into all that, but the debate that actually they have in Jerusalem, that debate is still had in the church, maybe in different contexts even today. What does it mean to be a Gentile believer in, in, in the Jewish Messiah? That's the question that they were asking. We, we can think of different things where we, we set um, new standards or different standards or, or, or different qualifications for what makes someone part of the church of Jesus Christ. Don't we? We do that. We see it across all church movements. And when we see these things arising, we have to get back to making the main thing the main thing. The main thing. We're all saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Yeah, it's all about the grace of God. And in fact, Paul talks about this very issue. This is Galatians now, talking, Paul writing about this very thing. In Galatians, we see one more aspect of uh, Barnabas's character as Paul writes about this issue in Galatians 2. Galatians 2.11, so when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but afterwards when some friends of James, James came, Peter would eat, wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You see what happens when you take your eyes off Jesus. You see what happens when, when anything other than grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ becomes the criteria for being part of the church. We go down rabbit holes, and we find other things to argue about, and it just takes arms and legs and division comes in. God is not a God of division. God is a God of unity. God is about bringing people together. And when there's division in the church, whatever side you're on, or whether you think you're right and someone else is wrong, right, God is not in the division. He's not in the division. It's not about right and wrong. It's about coming, bringing things together. And the reason I wanted to include this part of the story was to show that Barnabas, great guy that he was, wasn't perfect. Even though he spent so much of his life in ministry to the Gentiles, he got caught up and demonstrated some hypocrisy alongside Peter until he was confronted by Paul. So anyway, this controversy, this division around the apostles and the church um, 
in Acts 15, it kind of it comes to a conclusion, it comes to an end, and Barn, Barnabas and, and Saul, Paul, return to Antioch. And listen to what happens next. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Remember him? But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Interesting. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care, and then they traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. In one sense, this is a sad moment because this is the last mention we have of Barnabas in the book of Acts. Because the story follows Paul from that point on. But it is significant. So, so I just want to quickly look as, as we, we finish off here about what's going on here. John Mark hadn't lasted on that first journey that Barnabas and Saul had went on. At some point, he had given up, he'd gone home. We, we don't know anything more than that other than that Paul calls him a deserter. He deserted us. So obviously Paul hasn't sent John Mark off with his blessing. He sees him as a deserter. He deserted them early in that trip. And we don't really know any more than that, but we do see that Paul is still quite upset about it. And he refuses to take John Mark along. So I guess Paul's not perfect either, right? You know, Paul knows how to carry a grudge. Verse 39 of Acts 15, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. This disagreement is important, I think, because I believe it is the exact same theme that we saw many years earlier when Barnabas was the only one willing to take a risk on Paul. Now Barnabas wants to take a risk on another person. He wants to give another chance to someone else, and he believes so strongly and giving John Mark another chance that he parts way with the man he had brought into ministry, taken a risk on, mentored, journeyed with, been persecuted with, celebrated with, and shared life with. They part company because Barnabas wants to once again take a chance on someone. The sadness in this story is that Paul was once John Mark in Barnabas' life. In fact, he, he was worse. <laughs> he was worse. So there's lots of evidence that Mark was younger than Barnabas and Paul. So maybe his desertion had to do with immaturity, or he just bitten off more than he could chew, we don't know. So I believe that there is one more part to this confrontation. So what's happening here is Barnabas wants to pass some leadership and training along to a new generation of leaders. So he's done it with Paul, and now he's doing it with John Mark. Now, I'm speculating here. Okay, so just go with me with this. This is a bit of speculation, but remember that most of the early Christians believed that Jesus was going to return within their lifetime. 
That's how they lived. They lived. That's why they were so fearless of death. Because when Jesus said he was going to come back, they believed it was going to happen within their lifetime or at least their generation. But I can't help but wonder if Barnabas saw things a little longer term. And perhaps he was on the cutting edge of thinking at that time, looking into the future a little further, and maybe Jesus, what if he doesn't return in our lifetime? He was looking further, and he was willing to invest himself for the next generation. Because he did this with John Mark. He did it with Paul, and now he's doing it with John Mark, training up another young and potentially powerful leader. Guys, we have to remember that today we are building something for the next generation. We've already seen this church move from one generation to the next. But Jim and Rachel will do what Toby and Carol did one day in the future. And we always have to have one eye in the long term. So that's why in the vineyard, everyone gets to play. Do you love that I'm ticking off all the vineyard phrases here? But that's why everyone gets to play, because if only a few people get to play, then you don't have a future. You don't have a, a conveyor belt or a, or, a, or a coming through of younger and more energetic leaders, leaders who will serve this generation and the next and the one after. That's who Barnabas was, and I think he was a forward-thinking, cutting-edge preacher. As we come in, last part of the story... In this last part of the story, Barnabas actually doesn't even get a mention. He's um, in Acts 15, has his disagreement with Paul, and then we no longer hear about him. So let's move many years on. It's probably at least 10 years, and Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, a young leader who Paul is now mentoring. So although Barnabas and Paul had their disagreement, it's split up. Paul is doing what Barnabas showed him to do. He's training and um, mentoring another young leader. He's writing to Timothy. And this is near the end of Paul's life, and he gets very personal in parts of his letters to Timothy. And sandwiched in at the end among a a bunch of Paul's usual greetings and personal instructions is is a little verse right near the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it says this, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me. Hello? Paul's got, a, Paul's got a pattern here. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, I think that's how you pronounce it, has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. It gets me every time. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Although Barnabas isn't mentioned in this story, I think this is the last part of Barnabas' story. He successfully mentored Mark, John Mark. John Mark has proved himself even in Paul's eyes. And as a result of Barnabas' believing in Mark, Paul and Mark are reconciled and once again working together for the kingdom of God. Barnabas had a real talent for seeing the gifting and calling on people's lives. 
He took massive risks with people. He took the biggest risk of all with Saul. What would have happened to the church if Barnabas hadn't taken a risk on Saul? Where would we be? We, we are the descendants of Barnabas's risk taken with Paul. If Barnabas hadn't taken a risk with Saul, what would, ha- what would have happened to the New Testament? There wouldn't be much there because Paul wrote most of it. And he took a risk with John Mark, a risk that damaged, potentially even might have ended his, his friendship with Paul. But here's why I think Barnabas is so special in his gifting of seeing what's ahead. Because John Mark is Mark, the guy who wrote Mark's gospel. That's what many scholars believe. He is Mark. And you know, as I kind of bring this into land, I guess my thoughts today are to ask, who are you willing to take a risk on? Who is around you in your church or in your life that you know there's potential, but maybe you're thinking, oh, they're not ready? Can I tell you something? If you think you're ready, you're not ready. (laughs) If you think you're ready, you're not ready. And if you're looking for someone that's ready, you'll never find them. The people who look ready are not the people that you want to put in places of leadership. It's the people who don't look ready because they're teachable. There's edges to be smoothed off. And also, it's a lot more fun. (laughs) Lorraine and I, sometimes I think we're still not ready to lead a church, but we've been doing it for a decade. We're still learning. We're still developing. We're still looking for mentorship. We're still looking for the rough edges to be knocked off. I guess what I sense the Lord saying this morning is two things. First one is, I think for some of us here today, there's people that you have written off in your life. And it's time to be Paul to John Mark and say, you know, it's time for us to get back together and get into this kingdom work again and do what we're both called to do. I just sense right now that God is putting someone in your mind, for some of us, of who that is. There's a reconciliation needs to happen. And God is going to use that powerfully because he loves unity, hates division, loves unity. And secondly, I think there's some of us here today, and you have been or certainly feel that you may have been overlooked or put to the side. And I want to encourage you this morning and say that that, that is not true in term, because, because Jesus sees you. And it may be true, maybe, maybe you have been put to the side or marginalized 
or sidelined in some way. But you need to be gracious to other human beings. Because like Paul, like Barnabas, even the best make mistakes. And that reconciliation just has to become for you an acceptance of that happened, but it's not going to stop me moving forward in what God has called me to do. We've all got a part to play. We've all got a part to play. Whether you believe it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, we've all got a part to play. And God's heart is for his whole church to work, to serve, to be together, and to be in unity for the kingdom. Okay. Why do we stand? So we just want to give an opportunity for, for God to, or, or to allow you to respond to what God's been saying to you this morning. Maybe it's something that I've said, maybe it's a sense that you felt coming here this morning, maybe God's been speaking to you, maybe even in the worship that you felt something pulling at your heart or a thought has nestled into your mind. Now, I just want to encourage you, like, don't, don't, this be, don't let this be another week where you come and not respond to those things. That, that thing about being involved, but everyone gets to play, also means that everybody gets to be ministered to. And maybe for somebody this morning that you need to be the one who is ministering. Here's a wee play in words. It's not just everyone gets to play, but everyone gets to pray. So I'd just like to encourage you this morning, if God is speaking to you this morning, and especially around those two areas of one that you, you maybe feel that you've been sidelined or marginalized or um, overlooked, then I'd love you to come forward and um, some of the small group guys, they'll come in and, and pray with you. Or if you know in your heart that there's someone that you've maybe dismissed or written off, and God's saying, I want, you to, I want you to fix that. I want you to resolve that because this is my kingdom. This is my church. It's not for you to decide who's in and out. And God will lovingly forgive and restore you in that moment. And I'm sure if you do the right thing by that person that you've maybe put to the side, that God will graciously help you to restore that friendship relationship. So if that's you this morning, why don't you just step forward here and we'll, we'll get someone to pray for you, pray with you. I'm just going to pray, just going to pray a blessing over you guys. Thank you so much again for inviting us here. We've loved it, or are loving it, still here. <laughs> we just want to bless you guys. And then just as the band are playing again, if you just want to come forward, um, we, would, we would love to pray for you. So, Father, we, we want to thank you, Lord, for the, the layers of lessons that we find in your word. Lord, as we explore your word and we, and we weave ourselves in and out between the verses and the lines and we cross-reference and we see, Lord, the, the truth 
of your grace and your open arms to receive us. Lord, we thank you that we have this example of Barnabas and Paul and of John Mark. And Father, I just want to ask that you would lead us into a place where we love people, we take risks on people, we get alongside people, and maybe even step aside for people. So, Father, I just ask your blessing over Kingdom Vineyard, over every person that calls this church their home. And may the grace of God and the love of Jesus Christ and the power and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, let it rest and remain and abide in each one here. Amen.